0: not lizzie i'm kave we have a
1: very special
0: guest co-host today Please. what's up everybody it's steve sample dr sample thank you so much for joining me thank you man for, it's awesome uh it's good to see you buddy um before we get started and we go into our guests and everything i just kind of want to see how you're doing how are you doing are you are you over this whole COVID thing are you over it or are so over like- it
2: man i'm so done with it uh yeah i'm doing great actually it's been uh it's been kind of a um it's been kind of a weird last month or so because our COVID cases just plummeted to damn near zero um, in our hospital and locally. Just a couple of scattered here and there. Um, and we're starting to, just over the last couple of weeks, I'm starting to see snotty-nosed kids again, ear infections, you know, all the standard bullshit that we basically, that COVID murdered uh, over the last year. It's all coming back. It's all coming back. So uh, I, I, I realized how glad I was to get rid of all the various and sundry bullshit, but I am certainly glad to see COVID, uh, at least for now, in my rearview mirror for the most part. Oh,
0: that's great. I'm glad to hear it. I mean, that's not the case everywhere in the country, so I'm no for sure glad that you guys are having it. Let me ask you this. So last episode, we talked a little bit about that Washington Post survey that came out talking about frontline workers being vaccinated, and for sure. there was only about 52% of them had gotten one vaccine at that point there's still some holdouts and in, in even in that group uh let me for ask sure. you amongst your your colleagues out there how, how are you feeling are you feeling that people are getting vaccinated if not what are their reasons for not getting vaccinated
2: you know um i we talk about it sometimes um i've got uh i know i've got one partner who sat on the fence for a long time and is finally scheduled uh Uh, probably primarily because uh, he has a pregnant spouse and his wife will strangle him slowly to death if he doesn't get his vaccine. Um, And I would say it's a split. I I don't really have a percentage for you, but plenty of my nursing staff uh, is still reluctant uh, despite all the unbelievable – Almost miraculous evidence that is coming out. Yeah. You know, I understood the I understood the skepticism early, especially sure. if you weren't following vaccine science and things like that. As I wasn't, um, and I was like, "Is this some political bullshit that Trump's yeah. shoving down our throat? What's going on?" But when you look at the data, and now we've got probably 600 million or better doses given worldwide. The safety profile is ridiculous. Uh, The efficacy is ridiculous. Uh, I'm starting to lose my patience a little bit. Uh, And when I do, I just go and fight in the Facebook comments on my local newspaper's webpage. Oh,
0: Uh, God damn. I can't (laughs) believe you're still doing Facebook. (laughs) Dude, it's hard. You're
2: torturing yourself. (laughs) It is. It's misery.
0: It's misery. Uh, You know what? It's funny because I think about this a lot too, and it comes up here in San Francisco in the Bay Area too. Um, and I, I have been finding that I can get into reasonable discussions with reasonable people and reasonable people can have um, some serious concerns or hesitancy. I get that. But the thing is, the reasons that they're giving now are not the reasons I would give. Now, if, if someone were to come to me and say, hey, look, the data just looks too good. <laughs> right. Right. Then part they of you would be like. Me. I kind of get that okay i get that i'm a skeptic too it sure. does seem but the data seems really good you That's know really and, good and so like I, I i think it's hard to argue against it but if they came at me that way and they're just like nah nothing this good can can happen i would be like the cynic in me is like you're making a good point you make a valid point <laughs> yeah right
2: yeah the, the the reasons that i'm hearing for the very most part is why should i i'm not going to die from this disease I'm I'm 25 years old, I'm young, I'm healthy, um, and this and that, um, and it is difficult to have people, I think, look beyond themselves to the wider community when it comes to things like this, and that's been a struggle that I've had kind of throughout this whole thing, letting people know that this isn't really all about you. Overwhelmingly, the individual is likely to survive this, but by not vaccinating or electing to go ahead and get your natural immunity. Now you can go down the street and kill somebody who either could not for medical reasons, get the vaccine or did not respond, which we know five or 10% of people just probably won't amount an effective immune response. And so it's, it's really trying to talk to the outside, to talk to outside of them and and to kind of sell the community
0: aspect on it. I think, let me ask you this, and I'm going to ask Dr. Rasmussen when she comes on the the show here in a moment, but let me ask you this. I feel like where we're at right now trying to convince people seems like a very specific moment in time. Mm-hmm. And I know there's always been skeptics and there's always been people who have been against vaccinations, but I feel like the degree of it that we're seeing now seems very specific to this moment in time that we exist in where things like Q mm-hmm. where things like Q and anti-vaxxers can exist. But, right. but my question is, Am I wrong about that? Has it always been this way? And am I just realizing it now? Or is this something that's been around for a while? So, so I have always been a skeptic,
2: um, and I have always tried to shoot down bullshit wherever I find it. Um, And I think it's always been there to a degree. Certainly the age of social media has screwed everything up because, you know, the crackpot down the street who used to wear his tinfoil and and scream that the government was putting chips in you has now gone mainstream. Uh, because all these people can kind of find themselves. And I find like, you know, when you talk about Q, you know, I, I fell deep into the rabbit hole of Q on one night, at, you know, between night shifts and, and I just got into it. And basically the thing about Q is it is like an overriding conspiracy that contains all other conspiracies. <laughs> like, like you can tie anything through that. And even though I don't believe that the absolute numbers of Q adherents are probably legion. Their stuff is starting to bleed over, you know, like these little fringe, like little pieces of Q are popping up. And it's because, you know, there are media people and even politicians that are elected that are willing to give a little bit of air time to those more palatable stuff. Like, you know, it's it's hard to it's hard to sell the whole pedophile drinking children's bloods with the and yada 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 if you don't know that. Uh Google QAnon and what they believe, it's madness. Uh but the little things about vaccine safety and and how this is something it, it is certainly bleeding over. There's always been an anti vaccine component. It used to be kind of in the it was kind of a, both a very far left wing kind of thing and a very far right wing. You had your kind of yeah. religious extremists on one side and your hippie granola, uh, crunchy people. So yeah. that's why you often see pockets of pockets of uh, measles pop up in California. Because right. there's plenty of granolas in California. You know sure. that. I know that. Um, And so you'll see them pop up in these little liberal liberal communities or very deeply religious communities. And it's interesting. Uh, that their politics sort of diverge so far from each other that they they meet again on the backside in Mm. a circle, you know?
0: Um, But uh, yeah, it's always been around. It's just getting crazy now. That is interesting. I mean, that's kind of my sense of it too. Okay. Coming up next on the show, we have Dr. Angela Rasmussen. She is a virologist who is currently at the Georgetown Center for Global Health. She recently wrote an article with a friend of the show, Jeremy Faust, Dr. Jeremy Faust, about vaccinating kids and why that's going to be important for getting us out of this whole COVID mess. So everyone stay tuned. We have a great show coming up. Before we go though, uh, Dr. Stample, tell everyone where they can find you um, and give me any plugs that you got.
2: Yeah, uh, no big plugs. If you want to listen to me ramble about politics, uh, see pictures of my dogs um, and my random late night ambient fueled musings on life uh, you can find me at Superman sings s-u-p-e-r-m-a-n-s-i-n-g-s uh, at Twitter uh, and that's about it uh, every now and again you can catch me on the 11th hour with Brian Williams uh, as one of the bobbleheads in the uh, zoom in the Skype screen
0: yeah dude I'm gonna say something right now it's gonna make you super uncomfortable yeah and, and I'm gonna love <laughs> watching you score him but you're a good-looking man on that oh team.
2: my god you just have man. a
0: very watchable face just oh, like, thank you. you have
2: a good face for TV, man. Thank like you. I've always despised my face. I've actually, I've always been one of those anxious, really, really um, self-critical body issues. Like, you'll never see me without a shirt on. You'll know you know. Uh, you I, know what's a- funny?
0: I have like perverse body dysmorphism. Like I should be like horrified by my my face and body, yeah. but I'm not. <laughs> that, that's a good way to be, brother. Uh, I will tell you. Um,
2: I think it's just uh, my my buddy's a plastic surgeon. He said it's all in the jaw. I've got a big beak and uh, you know a big forehead and stuff. He was like he was like people just like the angle of your jaw. And I'm like, well, yeah, I guess yeah, I'll yeah. take it. Of course, I've spent the last uh, year with my jaw covered
0: uh, in public. So, <laughs> all right, everyone. If you want to see some handsome gentlemen on TV, you can see him on the 11th Hour. He's there a lot, and that's follow him on. Twitter That's nice. Uh, All right. Stay tuned, everyone. Welcome back. Today we have with us Dr. Angela Rasmussen. She is a virologist currently at the Georgetown Center for Global Health. She studies the host response to emerging pathogens. She's here to talk to us today about her new op-ed in the New York Times titled, We Can't End the Pandemic Without Vaccinating Kids. Dr. Rasmussen, thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So let me start with the sort of very basic Question that I'm sure annoys the hell out of you, and you probably see all the time, uh, or people discussing all the time on the interwebs: Are kids immune to this whole COVID thing that we have going on?
1: So they're they're definitely not immune, um, and that's that's actually pretty rare. Uh, for there to be age-dependent complete resistance to infection with a particular virus, it's not completely impossible. I mean, certain uh, molecules, receptors will be expressed at different points in a person's life, for example, Um, but children definitely express ACE2, the receptor for sars coronavirus 2 and they can definitely be infected. We don't have terrific data um, about the, the true prevalence of SARS-Coronavirus-2 in children because most of the time they have a very mild or asymptomatic infections, So they certainly haven't been tested as much. Um, but while while uh, severe disease outcomes are rare in kids, um, they can also certainly happen. So kids are not immune. They can also spread it to other people in their households. Um, so So children definitely um, should be protected from SARS coronavirus too, along with adults.
2: Right, uh, that's a, that's been a tough sell, uh, at least out here in Indiana where I am, uh, because uh, there's a lot of resistance. You know, both in adults and and now secondarily to their children, as we're starting to to move into that phase of, hey, uh, Indiana just opened up to 16 and older's just like yesterday, um, and the response is decidedly mixed. Um, because these kids have done so overwhelmingly well, um, do you have data on the any data at all that exists on the risk of children from SARS-CoV-2 versus your flus, RSVs, your standard viruses as far as severe illnesses requiring hospitalizations and things like that?
1: Well, in in kids, certainly um, RSV and flu both uh, can can result in more common uh, severe illness and hospitalization and death that that's for sure. Um, But, you know, I think that that people are confusing a couple of things um, when they they start thinking about why should I vaccinate my kids? um, Provided, of course, the vaccines go through clinical trials to suggest they're safe to use in in younger children. Um, But actually, we're not uh, Dr. Faust and I are not arguing that that we should wait to get kids back in school until everybody's been vaccinated. Um, we we do acknowledge that children are lower risk. We just think that, you know, we need to get transmission down by vaccinating as many adults as possible. And if it's a tough sell in kids, it's still a tough sell in many adults to actually get vaccinated for a variety of different reasons that we can get into. Um, but I, I think that over the long term, the argument is that that children should ultimately have the same protection against SARS coronavirus two that they have uh, for for other childhood vaccines like measles and polio and everything like that. Um, sure. So,
0: so let me ask you then, when we talk about kids being vaccinated, what ages are you talking about specifically?
1: So we're talking about um, all children over the long term, children six months and above. Uh, and right now they've just started clinical trials in that younger set of children. Earlier this week, Pfizer announced uh, the top line results anyways of a of a clinical trial, looking at the vaccine that they've produced in 12 to 15 year olds. And it's, it's a lot harder to do um, vaccine clinical trials in kids for this virus, because you can't really use symptomatic COVID-19 as a primary endpoint for the trial. Because again, a lot of kids have asymptomatic infection. Um, so you really have to look at at surrogate markers like the levels of antibodies, uh, and you most importantly want to look at safety. Um, the the results that Pfizer has shared so far anyways from this trial seem to suggest that there were only 18 cases of COVID in the entire trial. They all occurred in the placebo group, um, but it was only 18 cases. So it's hard to make a conclusion about efficacy against disease um, based on that. But the, the kids did have no safety signals, um, as well as they had antibody responses that were actually more robust than adults in the trial so far or adults um, in other observational studies. So that does suggest that that at least the Pfizer vaccine um, would probably work pretty well in those kids. And Pfizer has said that they're going to try to get emergency use authorization as soon as possible, um, which may mean that those kids might be vaccinated before the beginning of next year's or of this fall school year. Um, for younger kids, that's definitely going to be a, a longer period of time. I mean, they just started those trials. They're still actively enrolling participants. Definitely a long-term discussion to have. And people have brought up also the issue of why would we vaccinate kids here first if there's so much global vaccine inequity? Um, shouldn't we vaccinate, you know, all the adults in the world first uh, before we start focusing on lower risk children? And I think that that really depends on what vaccine supplies and distribution are like globally moving forward. Um, and that is really uncertain right now because of all the the stuff that's going on with the AstraZeneca vaccine, yeah. which has been slated as like the world's vaccine. Um, if there are safety signals, which there appear to be for adults under 55 who are getting that vaccine Um, and we can't use that in the younger global population, the younger adult global population, Um, we might have to rethink the time scale on which we begin offering vaccines to children because I do agree that it's more important to globally um, protect people who are at at the highest risk and that would be older adults.
2: For sure, I just saw something the other day that some countries, as we've vaccinated, we're trying to climb towards a billion doses worldwide, or something like that. That there are still countries with zero, yeah, uh, right now. That's, which that's uh, correct. Yeah.
0: So this must be a tough sell for a lot of different reasons. Um, we we live in a uh, a time where there's a political climate that does not seem hospitable to this sort of thing. Let, let me first ask you, what kind of responses have you gotten from this, both, both positive and negative?
1: I mean, positive, I've gotten a lot of thank you. I've been wondering, you know, what we should do. I've been worried sick about my kids. Like, what does this mean in terms of sending my kids back to school, um, especially in communities where there is a lot of vaccine hesitancy or vaccine refusal? Um, and I've also gotten a lot of you're evil, um, you're killing children, <laughs> Uh, Baby I, killer. You know, keep your keep your poison vaccines out of my kid's arm. Um,
2: yeah,
1: I've gotten a lot of things that are kind of in between too. Not not accusing me of being evil um, or having financial conflicts of interest. That was actually one of my favorite ones. Is that because I am going uh, to start a lab at a vaccine research institute that just received considerable um, considerable federal grant money from the government of Canada? That I'm somehow profiting off of vaccines and that I'm motivated to get as many kids dosed just so that I can keep rolling in, you know, keep the profits rolling in. That's a, um,
2: yeah, that's, that's a pretty- ridiculous.
1: I, I will say for the record, I have no financial conflicts of interest uh, doing research at a vaccine, academic vaccine research institute.
0: Yeah, Uh, that's supported by federal
1: grant money is a lot different than say secretly working for pfizer right dr
0: rasmussen everyone knows that the doctors that go into virology are only in it for the money right it's a classic academic
1: virology classic (laughs) Classic. academic (laughs) Academic, virologists
0: they're all about driving up in their porsches oh they're the worst sure
1: yeah i'm like scrooge mcduck like swimming in my pool made out of gold right
2: well Um, you know that that argument that they're giving you that i have received the same argument and i am literally a small town emergency physician in the middle of america and i have been told that i have a financial interest and i am bought and sold by big pharma and when i tell them i get paid by the hour and i would just as soon see zero patients as 20 patients you know (laughs) uh, i was like it makes no difference to my bottom line it's a it's a tough argument because there's so much fixed belief about how the world works and and uh, a lot of it feels good to 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 espouse that conspiracy that we're all in it for the money and there's a global cabal. Well,
1: and I'd say that some of this is, you know, is the result of very well orchestrated and really um, aggressive disinformation campaigns by anti-vaxxers. Sure. I think that most of the people um, who are Concerned, I don't even like to say vaccine hesitant because I think they're kind of like vaccine swing voters. They have questions. Um, and these this process has been, I think, confusing for a lot of people. Like, why does it normally take 10 years to develop a vaccine when these ones were developed in a little under a year? Um, and there are many good reasons why that's the case. Why do these have an emergency use authorization as opposed to full FDA approval? What about long-term side effects, which are usually pretty negligible if they happen at all after about six months post-vaccination. So I think once you can explain that to a lot of people, people may feel better about getting vaccinated or getting their kids vaccinated. But I I think the anti-vaxxers seize on that uncertainty and those questions and they fill in the blanks. With this other narrative that that somehow vaccines are this huge profit machine, especially for academics who are doing the basic (laughs) research on them and that, you know, it's somehow in our interest to sell them stuff when actually that's a pretty good example of DARVO, which is uh, deny attack. Reverse victim and offender. Um, it's a form of gaslighting in which the anti-vaxxers are actually the ones who are making a killing off of spreading that type of misinformation. They get huge speaking fees. They get yep. book deals. They sell yeah. all kinds of snake oil crap supplements instead of vaccines. Yeah. yeah, you've um, got
2: your Mercola's, your Judy asshole miskvitz or whatever yes. her name is. <laughs> pandemic. Yeah, pandemic. Um, it, it, it is amazing how how the, it boggles my mind that if you hear 99 physicians and scientists or 999 say one thing and you find that one person that speaks to your bias, the rest of us are dumb. You know, I am certain that in history at times, the naysayers were actually right, uh, that diverted completely, but that doesn't happen a whole lot. No. <laughs> you know, and, and, the, and as the evidence builds and builds and builds, um,
0: at some point it just becomes willful. Assholery. Uh, this seems like a good time to also tell you this episode is brought to you by the House of Pod men's vigor pills, men's vigor pills, we will be <laughs> selling those online shortly. Vitality and vigor for men. Um, let me ask you, uh, just if you could explain to people who who say, why do we need to even think about kids getting vaccinated? Why don't we just focus on adults? What do you say to that?
1: Well, I say that that's the right approach now, and we couldn't even vaccinate children if we wanted to because vaccines are only approved for children 16 and older. Um, so I think that we're not talking about vaccinating kids right now, this instant, like taking your kid to your local pharmacy and getting them a shot of Pfizer. Um, these trials need to to read out. We need to see all of the data, and more importantly, the FDA needs to see all of the data from this 12 to 15 year old trial, we need to complete the trial in younger children. So this is not immediate. We need to vaccinate kids. What we need to do is vaccinate the majority of the entire population of earth though, long-term because mm. everybody's worried about the variants that are emerging. And for now, I mean, we've had a lot of really encouraging data that, that the variants that we know of that are quote of concern Um, And I sadly can rattle off all of their PANGO identifiers now and tell you which ones are of concern with regard to the vaccine specifically. Um, But probably nobody wants to hear that. The bottom line message that people should be taking home about the variants is that right now the vaccines still work against them. Um, They will keep you from getting really, really sick with COVID. They will keep you from going to the hospital and they will keep you from dying of COVID. So that's good news. But the bad news is is that viruses are going to keep virusing, which means that they're going to continue to acquire mutations every time they have new hosts to replicate in. So as we get the the adult population of Earth um, more vaccinated, the virus is gonna have nowhere to go other than in other populations of susceptible hosts, like kids who may be in school, indoors. Um, so it's not enough to just say, we're gonna vaccinate you know, most of the adults around the world, and then we're gonna be done. We're gonna hit the herd immunity threshold, um, which I've seen some also erroneous claims on Twitter from physicians and scientists who really should know better Saying that, oh, based on what I'm seeing in Israel, it looks like the herd immunity threshold is a lot lower than we thought it was. No. Israel started their vaccination campaign uh, coincident with a lockdown. Um, That drove transmission way down. We will get to a convergence point uh, where enough people are immunized, even though we haven't hit the herd immunity threshold, and transmission is low enough that transmission can be controlled using standard epidemiological techniques like test and trace, isolation and quarantine, things like that. But we won't be able to to not think about COVID anymore until we do hit that herd immunity threshold in the long term. So while it's probably going to be safe to send kids back to school after most adults are vaccinated, uh, especially in communities where there is high vaccine uptake, Globally and long term, it's not going to be safe because there will still be large populations of people who are in close proximity to each other, uh, interacting, the virus can continue to spread in, and that creates opportunities for new variants to arise that might be capable of escaping uh, the, the totality of the immune response produced by vaccines. Now, that that's also manageable because we can make boosters, um, and we're learning more every day about the specific mechanisms that that the variants are using to escape the immune system. But um, we're always gonna be playing catch up with booster shots if we don't make a real effort to, to hit the herd immunity threshold in the global population, regardless of age. Right.
0: Okay,
2: that's a fantastic explanation. I wonder just briefly if you could touch on uh, one of the big pushbacks and arguments that I see in the down in the comments section is if this is so good, why hasn't the FDA approved it? Why are we still under emergency use? This is clearly a bullshit scam. FDA would approve it if it was good. Can you just talk about the difference and what we can expect going forward from that?
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the FDA wants longer term data um, before they are going to issue a full approval. And emergency use authorization is just that. We are an emergency. Um, so it was important because of that emergency to get the vaccines into people's arms as soon as possible. But over the course of the past five or six months, however long it's been since those vaccines got emergency use authorization, participants in the clinical trials are continuing to show up um, and data is continuing to be collected from them, as well as all this other observational data from people who've gotten vaccinated in the real world. This is actually normally something that does happen even after vaccines get full FDA licensure, um, is that that people who get them will continue to be studied uh, for, for the long-term. You wanna see how durable the vaccine is, you wanna see if there's any kind of cross protection, you just wanna see what happens long-term. Um, so the reason for the EUA was to just basically get these vaccines into people's arms as quickly as possible once we determined that they were safe. Um, We weren't concerned about durability as much at the time. We needed to get transmission down because it was a crisis. Pfizer has also announced this week. It's been a pretty uh, banner week for Pfizer um, that that they do have enough data to move forward with an application for FDA approval. And that is something that the pharmaceutical companies discuss with the FDA and the various regulatory agencies all over the world. FDA will say, okay. you know, we think you have enough stuff that we'd be willing to con- to consider a full BLA um, or uh, application for full approval. So we will see these vaccines get full approval and they will move from having an EUA to being fully approved. You know, we um, are really in unprecedented times and desperate times, desperate measures, all of that. None of that means, though, that the vaccines are just snake oil that you're going to be injecting. Um, we've seen many times now in the clinical trials and again in real world data that's coming in every day that they work and they actually work very well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We were talking about that at the top of the show. Yeah.
2: It's actually pretty shocking. Uh, and I think just community, I think a lot of us are having, and, and Dr. Rasmussen, you do a fantastic job of educating both online and and in video uh, and everything. I think a lot of us are having to learn that for the first time. You know, uh, they've made a lot of us talking heads. I became a talking head during COVID, and I'm a, a hillbilly ER doc from Southern Indiana, and all of a sudden <laughs> I have to like I have to know all this shit on COVID. And so like I feel like I've lived. Eight, like I know more about virology and molecular g- genetics now than I have ever known, more than I ever learned in med school, just out of fear that Brian Williams is going to ask me a random question about it, you know. Uh, and it's, it's it's live television is terrifying. There's that's no. That's why edits.
1: I don't like doing live TV at all. It
2: is awful, and that's all I do. I've done like a couple <laughs> of pre-tape spots, and it is so chill because you can just go, nope, cut that shit out. Like, as a matter of fact, you guys don't know, but Dr. Rasmussen just went on like a five-minute f-bomb tirade, and oh, we, we just. Can't. That out. We cut yeah. that right out of the program. We cut
0: it right out of the program. <laughs> That's progress. for the behind the wall the curtain. We have to pay for that yeah. sort of thing. We'll, I mean, we'll if you want me to start
1: saying to be- <laughs> fucking this and fucking that, I'm happy to do that. Yeah, no, no, no. People have <laughs> yeah. to pay. extra for So we that.
2: we uh it, it is it is challenging because we are trying to take science that a lot of us haven't even thought about it in years. You know, certainly your this is your life. And we're trying to take it to the masses with some credibility, and it is hard because there's so many pressures out there so many things that sound good you know that natural health that people push they sell the bullshit supplements and let it do it naturally and this is synthetic and your body is built for this and jesus loves you and he'll take you know all this stuff um and trying to convince people one at a time is has been the single most exhausting thing that i think i have ever been a part of Uh,
1: yeah and unfortunately what's really hard about it is that you really have to kind of convince people one at a time because the the disinformation i mean it is organized and i don't some of its anti-vaxxers some of its like people from adversarial nations like russia um but but it's intentional and it's meant to derail serious conversations it's meant to take away credibility from people like us who are doing our best to communicate it's meant to sow doubt and uh, distrust and to polarize people and it's really hard to push back on and especially when you're talking about complex topics people are not comfortable with uncertainty and that's something i learned really early on in this pandemic it's like vaccines either work perfectly or they don't work at all masks either work perfectly or they don't work at all um, yes. the virus is either all airborne or it's all fomites. Um, it, it, there are so many false dichotomies and people like to hear that they don't like hearing, Oh, let's talk about the immune system. Mm-hmm. They want to hear are there antibodies or not? Um, they, you know, is the vaccine working? Are there antibodies or no, they don't want to hear, well, you know, there's, there's different things titers of anti-s igg versus iga (laughs) and there's different you know this did differently perform differently in a pseudovirus neutralization assay than it did (laughs) in a micronut assay um people people oftentimes i love it when they stick around and want to hear all the ins and outs of a plaque assay but most people don't want to hear that they want a a straight answer and they don't like to hear we don't know yet um Because unfortunately, when they do hear we don't know yet, um, they they will look to somebody who does have an answer, sure. even if it's not the right answer. Right, Hence, right, I right. still have people in my Twitter replies being like, well, wh- why? Why are you talking about all this stuff you don't know? And We can just use fucking ivermectin. <laughs> yeah. Um, a lot of people have made a lot of money selling bullshit. Um by providing people a sense of of false security i mean look at alex jones like he sells uh, <laughs> all kinds of crazy shit like i i've never watched his show but i've certainly seen exposés and like john oliver episodes about all of the insane shit that he sells male vitality like, silver vinegar. um you know super vitamin c male enhancers um you know, everything ours from that works. to like ours works. To, to last out <laughs> the apocalypse. Talk. Um, it, it's just it's hard to compete with that, especially yeah, when you have to go right, right. person to person and try to build trust with them and try to be a more trustworthy messenger than they are.
2: Yeah, that's why I continue to engage at times in the Facebook comments, just because I know, I, I know I'm not reaching the person I'm talking to, because at this point, they have an agenda. But there are people scrolling through that are hopefully going to read a well-reasoned, thought-out response, and they might go, hmm. Right. You know, and that's really it. And, and and it causes me angst and it makes me stressed out
0: and it makes me drink too much, but um but but That was pretty uh, much was, my
1: week. Um, i was gonna I, say
0: you're I, masochist. Is what you are really, yes, but yeah, God bless for you sure. for doing it because somebody needs to.
1: It's important. Like I I spent a significant amount of time this week um just going through the replies to my tweet about the New York Times article and answering questions even when it was clearly like a fake anti-vax account um and and they're pretty easy to spot especially (laughs) for me at this point like i can i can tell like the the same things that they use and the same characteristics they don't have a profile picture they have like a bunch of numbers after their their handle they have you know they just started their account um they talking to a 12 year old in malaysia in those cases i would respond very calmly and then i'd immediately block the account so that they can't uh, right. So that they can't reply and I would get the last word on it. And I don't know if that works, but somebody did send me a message and say, thanks, like it was helpful to see you replying calmly and addressing like the substance of those statements. I think one mistake that people make a lot is to to basically shit all over um, people who are repeating that kind of stuff. And well, I have nothing but disdain for the people who are spreading that stuff a lot of people, you know, they hear about it on Facebook. And so that's mm. what they repeat. And for whatever reason, I, I don't I'm not a psychiatrist or psychologist, but some people get really into it. And I think that your instinct is to be like, Fuck, no, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but we really I have to practice like not doing that because what people will see is, oh, this like. Fancy, elitist, uh, doctor, yeah. mm-hmm. um, isn't in touch with what we're going through, doesn't care about sure. us, is only trying to make money off of vaccines, and and is openly scornful of us. Um, yeah, so that's... I try to reserve my scorn for people like Robert F. Kennedy Jr. or yes. Joseph Merkola, um, people who are actively bad.
0: That's great. That's a good place to close this interview. Thank you so much, Dr. Rasmussen, for everything you've been doing. We really appreciate all the great information that you share on Twitter and in your editorials. It's really useful, not just for lay people, but for us doctors as well. We're learning a lot about epidemiology and virology every day, and you're one of the major people that we look for. And can you tell people where they can find you and uh, give any plugs that you may want to plug?
1: Sure. I mean, just find me on Twitter. I'm all of the relevant other information about me is there. Um, I'm at 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 Angie A N G I E underscore Rasmussen R A S M U S S E N. Not two s's after the a. There's no ass in Rasmussen. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, you can find a link to my website, which I'm not great at updating all the time. Sure. Um, eventually, you'll be able to find me. In the Paris of the Prairies, Saskatoon. Nice. Um, yeah, I definitely next, starting next month. Yeah, definitely um,
2: recommend giving her a follow. You've been actually, you don't know this, uh, but I'll tell you now. You've been instrumental to me because they do. They put a, a country five ER doctor on national television, and I, they they whenever somebody asks me if I'm an expert, I say no but I know where the experts are and I know how to speak their language. And you're one of those experts that has really carried me through this. So I appreciate you like completely.
1: Well, I got to say right back at you. I get asked a lot because people don't always understand the difference between like an epidemiologist, a virologist, and an infectious diseases or ER physician. Um, I get asked a lot, like, what should I do? Like, I have lupus or I have, I, I have psoriasis or I <laughs> Shit, have- Shit, I don't know. <laughs> like, and I'm just like, talk to your provider, talk to your provider. But following doctors like yourselves, um, by following clinicians, I should say, uh, like yourselves has really given me a lot of insight into how this actually works when it comes down to actual healthcare. Because um, yeah. yeah. usually if I have a problem with a quote unquote patient, I just euthanize it <laughs> and, and stick it in the freezer or do some tests on it. Um, you know, at, at the worst, I stick it in the autoclave.
0: Talking <laughs> <you laughs> about go. like mice, people, in case they went out there.
2: Burn it. Burn it to yeah, the ground. I
1: was referring, I was referring to mice. Um, but, uh, but yeah. We've all it, had it patients. really given me a yeah. lot of perspective on on what this all means. And that's what my overall concern is. It's for public health. Um, That's why I promote vaccines. Uh, It's not for personal profit. It's not just because I'm like a vaccine fangirl. Um, It's because I want us to end this pandemic. I am more sick of this pandemic than anybody, as I'm sure both of you are too. so tired of talking
0: about COVID, so tired of it. I can't wait
1: for the day that I can go back to thinking about Ebola all the time. (laughs) There
2: you
0: go. We'll have you back on when that becomes a problem. All right, thank you, Dr. Rasmussen, so much.
1: Thank you so much.